I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch says, my resonator is pain. Is that a line from the movie? No. <laughs> if we're going to consider the film Martyrs by Pascal Laguier from uh, 2008. That's not how we introduce stuff. Uh, not how we introduce a, stuff. A uh, Lovecraftian movie. Then, uh, yeah, we'll, nope. we'll make it make sense in a little bit. Yeah, so if you didn't know where we love to watch, <laughs> we're movie podcasts. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course of a month around that theme. And this month, which is January to all of you people, it is our second week of... A Winter's Lovecraft, which is kind of a uh, bookend month to our Summer of Lovecraft, where we did movies that were direct uh, uh, Lovecraft adaptations. And this month, we're going a little off the rails. We're saying what feels to us like uh, a lot or some Lovecraftian themes and horror movies around that. And this is one that I think was a pitch to Peter on this kind of being a... A Lovecraftian movie, and that is 2008's uh, movie that has become somewhat of a dare for people, which I think is incorrect. We'll talk more about that. Uh, Martyrs, uh, uh, famously uh, uh, bought by Miramax and then unreleased in the United States theatrically because they thought it was going to be too too, uh, tough for American audiences. The DVD release had an intro from the director that said uh if you if you're watching this you made a bad choice <laughs> you shouldn't be watching this um i'm not he said i'm not even sure if i made uh, a movie that people should watch here uh at, at the very least it f- he feels very sincere in that video uh and then it was out of print for a long time uh and then suddenly uh came back uh i think like 2016 2017 uh maybe to correspond with the american re- uh remake but uh I don't know. I don't actually. And I'm, I'm not even sure if the Blu-ray and the DVD are back in print. At the very least, they made it available to uh, rent digitally. Yeah. I don't think. Uh, I don't think and, it's and back on digitally. any physical media. Um, they just released it digitally. Yeah, I tried to buy it uh, recently, and it was all the like uh, either French DVDs or uh, you know international region free stuff. But or sorry, region two stuff. Um, so I, I didn't pick anything up because it was all really expensive. <laughs> Yeah, so thankfully, I mean, so they did release it to like rent and buy on yeah, Amazon, yeah, for like four dollars. It's like normal that. price. Not they're yep. not trying to gouge you just because it's rare. Uh, yeah. So it's um, and it's a movie I made. So I was aware of this movie from um, one of my favorite columns of all time, which is Scott Tobias's new cult canon. Uh, that ran in the AV Club for like six or seven years until he moved to the Dissolve. Uh, Scott Tobias is my my favorite living film critic, um, and I just feel like he is one of the few film critics that um, – and I think this is kind of the ethos of all of the people that are like AV Club and Dissolve where uh, where Peter and I um, met through the, the ashes of that website. Um, but it's, it's that – Kind of follows what my what my favorite film critic and most a lot of people's favorite film critic Roger Ebert like. Um, well, Roger Ebert always hated horror movies in a weird way, where like that that sentiment didn't apply. 
But the idea that, like, yeah, every movie can be art and amazing. Like, it doesn't matter the genre. It doesn't matter much gore or nudity or stuff like that. And uh, Tobias's new cult canon was a really way to introduce me to a lot of movies I just never seen before or didn't even realize there was a cult around, which, uh, you know, isn't wasn't always easy to do. Like, I feel like uh, there's so many movies that I first watched from that column, like Hedwig and the Angry Inch and Martyrs and stuff like that, that were just movies that had kind of missed me. And I just wasn't aware of them in any capacity um, because none of my friends were talking about them and whatever. They hadn't been brought up in, in various stages. And I think that's one thing I really loved about the AV Club and the Dissolve is that the amount of movies, Rock and Roll High School from the Dissolve is a really good example that like I was sort of aware of but didn't know they were good. And, you know, these people kind of saying, hey, yeah, blah, 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 Citizen Kane, Bergman, Masterpieces. You know what else is a masterpiece? Fucking Rock and Roll High School. School and uh, and martyrs and uh, all those sort of things. So uh, yeah, that's where I first became aware of it, and I took it took me forever to watch it because I was it, everything, including Tobias's uh, write up, was uh, like this is less of a movie and more of a dare. So I was expecting some serious like fucked up shit that I had never even come close to seeing. Where, where were you at with this, Peter? Like, I know we talked a little bit about me recommending it to you, but were you like, oh, this is going to be one of those? You're, you're a little more of a gorehound than I am or, I, and, or was at that point. I, I don't even know if I'm a gorehound as much, but like the uh, I, I was really apprehensive to watch it because I uh, I feel like I get enough of my like cruelty for the sake of being cruel in my life. And so I don't usually that yeah. tank is usually pretty full. That's what I thought this was. You said you feel like in your life you get enough cruelty for the sake of cruelty's sake. And I was going to say, can you walk me through that a little bit? It sounds like maybe. <laughs> Maybe there's some things to unpack in your life right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I have a, a man that comes to my house once a week. Uh, he says mean comments about me. Uh, and then he uh, delivers my mail and then he leaves. And I don't think there's really a point to it. I think he could just deliver the mail. I think he could deliver the mail more than but once yeah, a week. It sounds, like the, it sounds like that's not cruelty for the sake of cruelty. That's just the way he delivers your mail. Do you not want mail? Um, I think he he sees it as like he's delivering harsh truth truth bombs that no one else is going to deliver me. Can you give me some examples? Can you give me a box of tissues? Can you give me uh, uh, I, a no. comforting shoulder? Can you give me uh, a, nope. a sense of place on this podcast here? I, I just don't know if I need I, I need to. Rec- can I can I buy you a feeling? <laughs> uh. <laughs> he did he did the thing, Aaron, where he he takes his hand. He flaps it between my thighs and he says, wet fish, wet fish. And then he says, I couldn't do that if you didn't have such chubby thighs, chubby boy. It's extremely rude. Um, I have had an actual mailman swear at me once where like um, I didn't pick up my mail from the mailbox in my apartment for like a month. Because like, what do you need mail for? And all of a sudden I heard this pound at my door um, and and someone walking away. Like, a, so like, I'm like, what the fuck? This guy wrapped up all the mail in, like, string, threw it at my door, and there was a note saying, pick up your fucking mail. (laughs) (laughs) That guy rules. I know. I mean, that is the harsh truth that you needed to hear. You needed needed it. Yeah, so that wasn't cruel for the sake of cruelty. I needed to get my mail so I could throw it in the garbage. Felt like a little Cosmo Kramer. Like, no one needs the mail. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm on- honestly though, if I did, hadn't been getting Netflix discs for like a decade, I, I probably would have never gone to the mailbox. So I was in a break from Netflix discs. So there was nothing. There was no reason. I paid bills online. It was 2006. Yeah, get it together, mailman. Um, uh, yeah, anyways, I yeah. So the, what, I thought sorry. the movie was uh, was I, the, the perception that I got from it, which is as we'll talk about, is is, is that pretty unfair. We should actually just talk about it now. There's the, there's a perception that it's uh, a cruel and pointless experiment, and that it's nothing but the most extreme possible shocking thing you could imagine, and that there's no real real sense of of um, there's no real sense that it's a movie. It's just a series of escalating yeah. tortures, and it, it's not that at all. A B. It's not about inventive tortures. I think that's maybe the most shocking thing for someone who hasn't seen it. It's not like a saw esque yeah. thing where, like, let's find the craziest way to kill somebody. Um, it's not. There's, it's it's a methodical, mechanical sort of series of abuses, non sexual series of abuses, and uh, we'll get into the details after the, the after the break. But like, I was under the impression that this was going to be a movie where every five minutes they brought in a fucking they brought in a new choking device or a new fucking chainsaw to chop off a new limb. It's not any of that, even a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So even Tobias in his review called it like a cinematic dare and the last 20 minutes being one of the most brutal things he had ever seen. And obviously it's it was in a genre that I was aware of, the kind of like extreme – French new wave horror movie. Like I saw High Tension when it came out in 2003. And so so keep in mind, like this movie comes out in 2008. So Hostel's out, Saw's out, stuff like High Tension's out, other movies in that like French new wave I've seen. So and I'm hearing yeah, there's people like porn in America and there's audition. French, yeah. And there's new French extremity extremity in in France. And then I ended even leaking into Belgian culture in some cases. And then um, in uh, Japan, yes, there's stuff like audition and the ta- Takashi Miike and Sion Sono stuff that seems to be pushing the envelope uh, for the sake yeah. of extreme cinema in Korea. You've got Park Chan-wook and later Bong Joon-ho and, and uh, these, these, um, these, these directors that seem to be uh, escalating the violence to a lever, level that you couldn't possibly imagine. And well, exactly. Also. And so when like Scott – so like when Scott Tobias in his – so Scott Tobias, I you know, I know has seen all these movies. He's reviewed all of them and he's even positive. He, I think he's one of those people that like made the case that there are stuff like Devil's Rejects or I don't want to say he defended Hostile, but I feel like he did that I've kind of agreed with. That like, yes, there are terrible torture porny movies like the fucking Platinum Dunes, Let's Be Terrible – like uh, remakes uh, for the sake of being gritty and terrible. But he's like, some of them have like a purpose to that, right? So when Scott Tobias is saying that the last half hour is this brutal, he also compares it to, to Mike saying that the last half hour probably made uh, Mike mad that like he didn't think of that way to brutalize his audience. So that's like the review I'm reading. And so in my head, I am like, what the fuck could happen in this movie? Like, here you have this person who is exposed to uh, all the shit we've seen, both both uh, good and bad versions of like horrendous mutilations, torture, brutality, and like saying that it, it probably – this is so bad that it would make like Takashi Miike – uh, sad that he didn't think of it uh, and that everything he did looked tame. So, of course, I am thinking, like, what is an unimaginable 
what is an unimaginable hole? Like, what have I not seen at this point on the screen that the last 20 minutes of this movie, what could I be prepared for? So, I really thought, like, I was kind of, in a way, uh, I was kind of nervous to watch this movie. In the same way, ironically, another movie from New Cult Canon that I watched for the first time, I was afraid to watch uh, Funny Games, which is a movie just as polarizing as this uh, that Peter and I, I think, vehemently disagree on how how good it is. But that was another movie that, like, Funny Games, I feel like, the American remake or the original, were written about in these hushed tones as, like, man, this is as brutal as anything you've ever seen. And so I'm expecting... Like, I'm expecting extreme gore. I'm expecting the hard... It's a home invader movie that is incredibly difficult to watch. I'm not expecting, in the case of Funny Games, what if you watch someone cry for 10 minutes after their son's been killed, but you don't actually see any gore? Like, and I feel like it's a little bit the same thing here with Martyrs. Like, uh, upon rewatch... um, Well, I actually think the first hour of this movie is pretty fucking brutal from a gore perspective <laughs> yeah but i was i was focused on the last 20 minutes because that's what people talk about and so when that's so you you're kind of built up with oh that's fucking gory that's fucking gross that's brutal and this is going to go to like the worst 20 minutes ever okay and then we get to that 20 minutes and there's almost no gore there's almost no tortury stuff i mean there's torture but i guess i because of that, I think even in intros to this episode, I've been a little bit dismissive of um, it's not as bad as everyone says. And I think that's just because I, I have a different take on that now. But I think going into it the first time, I was expecting something that was the most brutal thing I have ever had ever seen. And when it turned into something different, I was like, oh, why do people say that's that bad while still loving the movie? Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. I mean, it's uh, I think that it's important to address early on that the stigma behind this thing is not um, it's not it's not necessarily a roadblock to say like, oh, if you hate torture porn, you're going to hate this or you hate. And and you could even argue this isn't torture porn. But anyways, um, the director did. Um, And you could argue that um, if what you're looking for out of a horror movie is uh, you know, to identify with a character and watch their struggle and have their struggle have meaning um, and their uh, perseverance through a struggle have meaning because you care about those characters, then I think this is a movie for you. This is not a movie like a lot of like what actually pushes me away from the slasher genre um, is is when um, the movie seems to take for granted that we don't need to like the characters and we don't need to find them empathetic or sympathetic. Um this movie takes a lot of lot of time in making our two uh, the two female leads feel extremely um, human and extremely relatable and making their struggle to come out ahead of of what the the evils of the film have put in front of them make that struggle feel like a worthy struggle um and so it doesn't yeah. feel like just abject think- cruelty it doesn't feel like you know your bucket is overflowing with that it feels like it, particularly like in a time when i'm used to horror movies being so uh, dehumanizing i feel like it's a movie that's actually really humanizing <laughs> Yeah, and I think uh, we talked a little bit about the concept of torture porn, and 
Uh, I think back when we did our Devil's Rejects episode, which is uh, like over three years ago now, three and a half years, I think, mm-hmm. Peter. Um, but uh, and I think our take was at the time, like a lot of like mini genres that we defend, like, yes, like everything else, there is a bunch of crap, like found footage is another good example. There are so many terrible found footage movies, but found footage movies are not inherently bad. And people that find ways to use the gimmick in a way that serves the material and actually elevates the, um, the horror and scares and stuff like that without just being like, this is cheap to make. Um, is has resulted in a lot of good good movies, great movies. I feel like when we came down when we were talking uh, about the Devil's Rejects was the same. That yeah, there is some terrible like oh audiences want grueling yeah fucking we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna make some grueling shit. Um, but that the genre itself kind of started as like a way to express brutality and take some meaning for it. And like uh, I think. Hostile 2 especially um, is um, has a lot to say with its extreme brutality Um, and I think Martyrs and other really good incarnations Devil's Rejects has like has a point to it like there is a point to the brutality and the torture on display that is there to serve the story and make it a more interesting story and also it almost in a way needs to be there because ultimately where the movie ends up, um, like you need to understand what everyone is giving up uh, in order to what, – what the people are willing to do in order to make this thing happen, to give it kind of emotional weight. Um, and so it does feel like um, – and much like uh, and much like Hostel 2, which is like about U.S. colonialism expressed through like the brutality of horror movies and torture porn, like the director of this movie is like, yeah, this is about like classism and about the way certain people uh, will brutalize people that they don't consider one of them with without any emotion because uh, because they literally just view them as uh, as a different level of people. Uh, and and like, I found that end. Uh, yeah, it means uh, to an end gristle for the you know gristle for the churn. Yeah, we we just talked about that in some movie that we did. We talked about it when we did uh, we did the society uh, society. Yes, we talked about it when we did society. Yes, exactly. I think this movie is um, this movie can it definitely has some comparisons to society, though society is far more. Um, open from the first five minutes what it's about i think martyrs it's not clear what it's about until almost 50 minutes into it uh i think longer than that i think when you end up at the end of this movie uh, i remember the first time i saw it it's like wait like how did i get here like like when you look at where the movie begins and where you end up for the final scene it's just like wait what how how did I get here in a hundred minutes? Like, yeah. what is this movie again? And I, I that's something I really like about. It. I guess that does happen a little bit in society, although it's it's just like what is going on? To wait, how did I get here? But that's one thing I really like about. It. I like that um, anyone going it like it is a it is a movie that you're not going to expect by the end. Much like much like the Ewoks were martyrs and died for uh, your sins to protect the satellite on the moon of Andor, third moon of Andor. Um, these two ladies died for the sins of a cult. You want to talk about uh, martyrs? Let's do it. 
Uh, you can, it's, it's alternate taglines. Why don't you come up with a fun alternate tagline for us to laugh and giggle about uh, for the movie Martyrs? Hmm. Wow. Um, this is a, just a light, bouncy little film. I don't think I'll have a trouble at all coming up with a cute little, cute little something for it. Martyrs, is this seat taken? <laughs> Martyrs, know. you'll do anything for your best friend. <laughs> I feel like this uh, alternate tagline has just turned into a way Fr- to make the movie seem stupid. <laughs> Martyrs, friends gotta stick together. <laughs> you got a friend in me. Friends gotta stick together would have been pretty good for society. I think, yeah, the family sticks together. Family, the family that eats together sticks together, shunts together. Yeah, the family that shunts together stick, stays together. I do want uh, someone to re-edit Martyrs with any time uh, Lucia does something for Anna or vice versa that Randy Newman's You've Got a Friend in Me plays. <laughs> okay, Everything people, else stays the same. How come How come the fucking like, um, CinemaSin-style YouTube videos just stuck around for like a decade, but we only got a handful of the like horror movies re-edited as comedies and comedies re-edited as horror movies yeah because people like uh feeling superior <laughs> and those are just people like feeling superior over laughing so cinema sins are like ah, yeah you could you could joke with me because i also think everything's dumb <laughs> i just um, love the idea and that's like just just enjoyable as a human being so who can have that i feel like those i feel like i know people probably got very very sick of them but those you know the shining re-edited as a family comedy or whatever like it sh- it does demonstrate you the power of editing and the and power music, of music basically and it is yeah. like a it's a uh a film theory lesson taught to you through three minutes of comedy right and it's for people that don't understand Ding! how editing works all of a sudden you watch that video and you're like oh wait i get how editing works <laughs> to at least yeah. some extent right yeah, maybe hopefully someone did one with Martyrs. Check it out. We're here not to review the uh, potentially comedically edited trailer of Martyrs, but the movie. So, yeah, the movie starts with um, uh, how do you so is it Lucia Lucia. or is it just Lucy Lucia? Oh, wait, no, it's, it's um, wait, no, I think it's just Lucy, right? Yeah, it's Lucy. It's hard to tell because, like, I feel like they're saying it in a French accent, and I'm not. And it's like the name of the credits is Lucy and Anna, but I don't know if I'm just like putting a little too much spin on. It. Anyways, okay. So Lucy ends up uh, as as a kid meets Anna. Lucy's escaped from some. You're kind of seeing some newsreel footage of of like an empty basement where there was a chair with a hole in it that she was clearly strapped to. She kind of goes to an orphanage where Anna's at and, um, you know, the news is talking about it and she kind of becomes quick friends with Anna while Anna's like trying to look out and help her, kind of sees this girl all alone, like goes and hangs out with her and gives her food. It's like a quick five minute like uh, how things are going. Um, but also one night at the end, um, sh- uh, Anna sees that someone has come to torture Lucy uh, and you kind of see a silhouette of like a – a, uh, a a some tortured woman um with skin cracking and almost like i don't i don't know what you would call it um it reminds me of some some monster for some movie and we'll i should probably figure it out cuz we need to get to it and we're going to use it more often 
Um, yeah, she has like striations from pain and stress and being, yeah. being exposed to the elements and her skin is all rough and, and cracked and Oh, I, I know what it you know, so I know what it reminds me of. Um it reminds me of Seven, the guy who's like has sloth and is like stuck to the bed and then he comes to life. Yeah, it's like uh bed sores but everywhere. Yeah. Um so that's that's what it kinda reminds me of. So and then it cuts to the title sequence and we flash forward um 15 years uh and we meet this nice upper middle class family uh, uh there's a husband a wife a teenage son who he learns about to go to college a younger teenage daughter probably like 14 maybe and they're having breakfast they're talking about work they're talking about uh whether uh what school the oldest son played by uh xavier dolan actually is going to school um and they talk for like five six minutes and all of a sudden there's a knock on the door and there's, uh, as we find out later, grown-up Lucy, who has a shotgun and uh, uh, blows blows the husband away, kills the mom, we think, uh, and then with a little bit of pain, kills the son and the little girl who's hiding under the bed. She then calls uh, Anna, who's like, where are you? And she's like, I found him. I f- after 15 years, I finally found the people that did this. Did you catch how she So Anna comes him? to her house. Uh yeah, there's like a in uh like a newspaper article that they found from when where she was found. Yeah, right? the daughter was like a champion swimmer, and so they caught, saw the family in the newspaper, yeah. and that's how she found him. Yep. Um. So not that that's super important. It's just a creepy detail I didn't catch the first time. Yeah, because they're just they're just a family, um, upper middle class going to kids doing school stuff. Um. So. Lucy gets there, and, and and meanwhile, while she's at this house, she's being tortured by this other monster that seems like may have been in the house. We find out later that this 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 other monster, this kind of like um, bed sore, cracked, tortured, um, is not uh, is not does not exist. It's it's in Lucy's mind, and um, and uh, it's something that happens to a lot of people who are tortured. The idea that as you're tortured and you look for a reality, like other monsters get in and you hallucinate these things. And this monster keeps like, as a kid, we saw her like cut her wrists open and she's like, I didn't do this, uh, keeps trying to hurt and kill her. We realize this as Anna is like going through the house, trying to clearly like loves her friend uh, and maybe in love with her friend as well. And is like trying to like help her hide bodies while also realizing that her friend has a lot of trauma from what she's experienced. So it's the combination of like trying to be supportive, but also being like, I'm, I, there's a, there's an even odds here that my friend just murdered an innocent family. So when, when she realizes the mom is still alive, she makes the decision to try to save the mom's life because that seems like the right thing to do. Um, so the mom ends up getting uh, – Lucy finds out about this, freaks out, says, you never trust me, all while being like harassed and chased by this this creature that's in her head. Uh, she bashes the mom's uh, head in with a hammer and the monster guides her to, to end her life by slitting her list, wrists. So and then she cuts uh, her own throat. Also, like it's yeah, like a se- it's, it's like a series of, of of very horrific. Like, and if you have a self harm triggers or anything, definitely don't recommend this movie. Uh, yeah, uh, 
yeah, look up. I mean, hopefully, what we've talked about goes. Yeah, look definitely look up. Uh, does the dog die from martyrs and all the different trigger warnings? Because it is that's what's so funny, right? Like, so I'm watching all the shit, and it is brutal as hell. And I'm like, this isn't the brutal part, according to people. Anyways, we'll get there. So, um, so anyway, so as like she basically stays overnight there, and it's like I don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, she like hears some noises coming from the basement. She starts exploring the house, and she finds this weird secret passageway with all these pictures of like people being uh, dying or dead who have like had their head cut off or like are burned at the stake or a cross. And she finds a locked ladder going down to the basement and down in the basement, she finds a woman that looks like the ones from Lucy's visions, not the same, uh, that we find out that that woman was actually just a reflection of, like, who, as a child, she escaped. There was another woman sitting next to her, and she feels guilt about leaving that woman. But this is a woman in the same state, including with a fucking, like, metal blindfold stapled to her head in a very brutal scene. <laughs> we'll get there. So she's like, holy shit, after all this, my friend was right. This family has, like, this extreme torture victim in the basement. So she brings her up... Um, she brings her upstairs and is trying to help her, but, like, she's kind of like, you're beyond help. Like, but I'll do whatever I can. She takes off the metal plate, which, like, that is the most gruesome scene to me. Like, <laughs> yeah, she, they're so ripping gross. out these staples from your head, and then it tears off most of her skin trying to pull it off because it's been on for so long. Um, and then uh, eventually this woman starts, like, cutting off her own arm. And as she's trying to figure out what to do, a shot, uh, a, a gunshot shoots her through the head. And all of a sudden, like, these military men come in and grab grab Lucy, ask what happened here, and tie her to a chair. And then this old lady named the Mademoiselle comes out and is, like, explains everything that's going on. Like, um, yep, so uh, we uh, – that we're there's, – there's so many victims in the world, people that take their pain and internalize it and, like – uh, cope with it by like seeing vision. She's like that lady's been seeing cockroaches, so she was trying to cut off her arm, be um to to deal with cockroaches. But what we're looking for is martyrs. Martyrs are people that when they're faced with that much pain, um, take on the pain of the universe to enhance mankind's knowledge, um, which is essentially the idea of existing in life and death at the same time to be able to communicate what is on the other side of existence. Uh, and they're like, we found that young women are the best at this for some reason. They show pictures of like people that have uh, got that revelation, but no one's been able to. So they know that they've seen this revelation, but no one's been capable of um, communicating what that revelation was to them. So they just kind of keep trying and their methods have been refined over years, but that's what's been going on. That's what uh, Lucy had been going through. So now we get to kind of that long scene. They take Anna. They put her in the basement. They strap her to the chair, and the torturous scene is this goes on for about twenty minutes. Dialogueless is essentially just like a series a, pro- a series of let me let me say that again. It's ba- essentially a process delivered without any like emotion or humanity, designed to break you down to the point that you're between have no hope and are between life and death, which is essentially a series of. Uh, uh, punches and beatings, force-fed gruel, strapped to a chair, 
uh, shaving off head, and then eventually getting flayed, uh, having all your skin peeled off. Now, the skin part actually happens off screen. They don't show that. They just see the, show the after effects of like a face and a skeletal remains. They put in the water and they watch for hopefully the sign of being uh, the look on the face that indicates she's in both places at once. Uh, they get that call. Mademoiselle comes. She's able to communicate what she sees. Uh, Mademoiselle calls a meeting, which is now like in this highfalutin, like almost hotel with hundreds of people in tuxedos. Everyone's super excited to find out it's what's going the, on. It's just in the house. Oh uh, yeah, it's in the house. There, it's a it's a rich house. It's just yeah, it's a rich uh, people house. But it's now all of a sudden filled with all these really excited, like tuxedo wearing, uh, rich assholes yeah, waiting it, to hear what the Mademoiselle found out. It was a uh, the house before just looked like it was just very domestic, but now it's like you know they do a little bit of cleaning up, and all of a sudden it's like oh yeah, yeah wait this is a really nice house. <laughs> yeah, um, and so Mademoiselle is like, um, and and so someone's quizzing her before she goes and gives a speech, and it's like, so did you find out? She's like, yep, no doubt about it. They're like, are you sure? Like, is there any chance it could be wrong? And she's like. Nope, it is like there's no there's no part of me that doesn't think what was told was right. And then she asks this guy and says, um, do you know what happens after we die? And he says, no. And she says, keep doubting and puts a gun in her mouth and blows her head off. And that's the end of the movie. That is it. Uh, so sorry, that was a little long, but it, there is like almost like three discrete movies in here. There's like a home invasion thriller a mystery and then like essentially this sequence that shows you the process that they are using to gain enlightenment which is um so i so let's let's start there and talk about why i think this has some lovecraftian uh components which may be obvious now that you heard the plot summary if you haven't seen this movie but yeah it's a it's a group of it's a cult big in lovecraft that are using dark science by means of in this case torture to discover what is going on in the universe, what forces exist outside of death and reality. And once someone learns that truth, it is so overwhelming that they decide to end their life rather than share it. Um, so, again, not like strong, strong Lovecraft, but still feels uh, on a very high level that idea of that cosmic horror, that knowing is more dangerous, that idea of like evil cults using evil science. It still feels very... Uh, Lovecraftian from that perspective. Yeah, and I, when you told me, I'd seen the movie previously, but when you told me that I, uh, you thought this was a cosmic horror movie, I pushed back a little bit, and then um, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll take the leap, and then I watched it from that perspective this time, and I could see it. I could see a lot of it. Uh, it, it is a film about the brutal, unforgiving pursuit of knowledge. And uh, there's a cost to that knowledge, both for the person who, uh, for anybody that, that, that comes in contact with it, actually, I should say, like the, the researcher who, who dedicates their lives to it this time, uh, admittedly, um, <laughs> that Anna is not in a Lucy and such are, are not voluntary. They do not give their consent to this, to be a person in this research. That's also why the title martyrs is very interesting because you think about martyrs as sort of like voluntary heroism. Uh, but this movie uses the word martyrs um, going back to it's, it's more of its root meaning, which is uh, witness. Uh, it's been sort of, it, it was sort of um, in a modern understanding 
simplified to just the idea of somebody who makes a religious or a social sacrifice or sociological sacrifice. So like people say Che Guevara is, or Che Guevara is a, is a martyr. They say, you know, um, certain, you know, religious figures or martyrs, Joan of Arc. Uh, this movie is using the phrase as a, as a proper noun to indicate a witness, somebody who has seen, seen the other side. Yeah, and I also think, though, it, in some ways it does. Like, the thing about um, the concept of martyrs, and especially, like, from my Catholic upbringing, it was, like, people who, they didn't die willingly. Like, they were tortured and murdered and stoned to death and burned at the stake and stuff like that. But they were willing to give their lives to prove their devotion and faith and kind of continue that, right? Like... This is still that, right? These are people who are dying for faith. The difference is, is that they're not dying for – like they're not willingly dying for faith. Um, they are being uh, – the the faith is the people that are doing the martyring, like which is a fun reversal of like what you – not fun. I don't know if fun's the right word there. But it is a reversal of like that idea of like – um, yeah, they're giving their lives for their faith, or f- instead they are giving their lives for other people's faith, unwilling. Now that I'm thinking about it, Anna is a unique case. None of the other participants, and it sounds like this organization's been around for a long time. They make they make a comment about a Lucy, who you know was uh, tortured, let's say thirty years prior, twenty years prior. I think it was F- a, fifteen. There's a none of the other participants have have been successful. There's some hints that this is a, a pretty old organization. It's minimum fifteen years because uh, the they reference that the organization was more disorganized back in the day when they kidnapped Lucy as a child. Child. Uh, but I yeah. don't know if that necessarily means that that was like year one. That might have been year 300. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, the, the earliest picture they show is, I think, from 1912. Right. But that's someone that's suffering. Is that someone that's necessarily suffering through their process? I, not through their process, but I kind of took it as, at the very least, this look is what inspired our cult. The cult really is not fleshed out at all, which is great. Like, yes, you, do, you don't find out too much. But I, if I'm putting some pieces in place just in my head, it's like, Oh, this is the first photograph of this and this inspired like look at this look. There must be something going on. And here's some other examples of evidence that we've uncovered. And then we've been trying to make people look this way and we've succeeded a couple times, but um no one's been able to tell us anything until like they, they, until, until Lucy or till Anna. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, the organization has clearly been around for a long time and the fact that this movie is a French film um, and Pascal uh, Lachier has said in interviews that he was inspired when uh, about making this movie by a few things. Uh, the two that were notable to me was his own depression and trying to work through his depression and trying to find some sense of uh, meaning to the pain, to the suffering, um, which you can see. And this is a movie about someone who goes through suffering and then gets to see the other side because of the the the, the just uh, the, the, the the sheer force of will. But the other kind was because of his Catholic upbringing and his rejection of his Catholic upbringing because France has a uh, deep Catholic culture. And uh, it's 
easy to see how a film that's about systematic violence, and I mean that in two ways. One, it is a bunch of rich, old, white people, which I mean, the fact that it's all these rich, old, white people, I think Aaron suggests it's it's a pretty old organization, because why else would all these like ancient people be still funneling money into it? Yep. So it's, it's you know, a systemic thing where they're gathering up people every year, every few months, I don't know what cadence they're on. Two, that the torture is systemic and systematic, it uh, very much hints at the abuses of the Catholic Church over the years. Now, the, the, the one that doesn't click with me as much is, of course, the sex abuse, um, because that happened all around the world, didn't just happen in America. Um, the one that clicks with me more is stuff like Mother Teresa. So... Mother Teresa's uh, clinics had... Oh, is this the podcast where we dunk on Mother Teresa? Oh, absolutely. I'm into this. Oh, absolutely. Um, Mother... <laughs> Finally! Mother Almost four clinics. years. She she helped a lot of people. Slam, Mother Teresa! Dun, dun, uh. But oh, she was also bad. someone who... This is the roast of Mother Teresa. <laughs> Anyone that didn't want to hear us talk about martyrs is... is uh, I'm not saying it's a fully circular Venn diagram, but probably overlaps some way with people that don't want to hear us dunk on Mother Teresa. So <laughs> I think we're good for listener feedback perspective. Uh, Mother Teresa's clinics, though she is known clinics, for, for quote, quote. Yeah. Known for being a, a you know a figure of giving and a figure of great suffering. She her clinics um had rampant abuse and she uh, earnestly refused to make choices that would make her patients safer even with the knowledge that they would for instance like they, yeah it was, they a, didn't it was a place to suffer yeah they didn't use sterilization standards that she knew were were uh were available for instance they were clean instead of sanitizing needles or getting rid of needles they were washing them with cold water like that was the instruction there was also yes keeping patients that were suffering from one disease close to patients that were say suffering from uh you know something less severe so a tubercular patient close to someone who had i don't know a broken collarbone or something a lot of catholicism and mother Teresa bought into that component thinks that like suffering in the name of god is like the best gift that you can have. Oh, you're ha- you're in an amazing amount of pain and going through the worst thing imaginable. Why would I make you better when this is like earning you graces in heaven? Like you're going to get the best seat in heaven. You keep this up, like this is great. Like I want to I want to be there to to help you like earn these graces. Like that's what like that's what a lot of Catholicism is about. Like it's all in the catechism. Yes. Suffering equals good. So her clinics were about giving people a place to suffer, not to end their suffering um, or to give them love while they're suffering. Like, but there was no like idea of like, like curing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> suffering is good. Yes. So, yeah. So that that part of the, the, the equation is more interesting to me than the, the, you know, the ritual sex abuse that was happening in the Catholic Church because. Well, the, and there's I, I, one thing I will say about this movie. This movie doesn't has no sexual abuse. Yes. Uh, very specifically has no sex abuse. So um, it's yep. kind of it's kind of interesting how. The film that's known for, you know, there's no end to its depravity. Uh, I don't know why I always do the Texas Chainsaw voice, but it's fun. Um, the There's no end to its depravity. It actually is fairly reserved. It's 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 uh, after the shotgun attack early in the movie that's uh, very, very vicious. And after that sort of second act is over, it's not that bloody of a movie. Um, 
I mean, there is a lot after she finds the person downstairs, and like it, de- like that's again the, sh- the the shocking thing to me was that I was expecting Act Three to really rev up some the brutality. Yeah. Watching it again with fresh eyes, ten years later, I was like, oh yeah, this is a pr- still really brutal movie. It yeah. just uh, the the last twenty minutes is brutal in a different way than like a gore fest, and yes. yeah, like. I will say this. I can't think of another torture porn movie um, except maybe some of the Saw movies that don't have an element of sexual violence. Right? Like, hostels, even even though... Yeah, like, the hostels definitely do. Like, Inside and High Tension, like, do... I mean, all those... Like, the... (laughs) The director's cut High Tension features a head... A severed head being used for auto auto erotic auto fellatio. Yeah, whatever you call like, it. There's... Yeah, the guy's using a severed head for sex pleasure to like introduce the character to us. So like this 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 film movement, the New French Extremity film movement, was was just as um just as full of sex violence as the the American ones were. Yeah, so this is actually the only one I can think of. Because that's the thing, right? They're trying to shock you, and sometimes they're trying to shock you for, again, I would say thematic purposes. And sometimes it is just, let's just let's just show depravity for depravity's sake. But I think in all of those, in all that camp, people are like, well, obviously, sexual violence is, you know, so you have hostile, someone getting his dick cut off. And hostile, too, you have, like, someone masturbating as blood pours down on like you know um because you're trying to look at what's more extreme and obviously like any sort of sexual violence or genital mutilation is like something that people are have trouble watching for obvious reasons um so yeah so like in this the most brutal the dare of the movie it is interesting that there's there's not yeah like zero yeah, and um, but yeah, so the M- Mother Teresa's clinic, real quickly, like she refused to get painkillers to people and such. Like this is the pain yep. is the is the point. The pain is is, uh, pain is it's not point. a byproduct. It's it's the product. Um, it's a gift. It's a gift. literally a gift. Yes. So it's it's that is the pathway there. And so jumping back a little bit, Anna is the one that succeeds. And I'm just thinking about it now. And we talk about the nature of consent and victimhood, and also thinking about it as a reaction to his depression. Um, Anna is. Anna is at a certain point. I think what separates Anna from the other ones is that her demon is her, or the thing following her around, real or not, um, is is like Lucy's voice, and Lucy seems to be encouraging her. Um, and I like to think that the demons are from the other side. Um, they're whether or not it's actually the ghost of the person is. I, I think, uh, you know, uh, up for grabs, but I think it's actually a supernatural thing in my interpretation. That's fine. I don't see it that way, but it works either way. Yeah, but I think Lucy is, I think Lucy is speaking to her from the other side and whether or not you think it's just, her, you know, her image of Lucy, you know, that doesn't, it's not actually real, but it's her memory of Lucy, which is, you know, real in in a, in a sense. Um, that is encouraging her to give up, to, you know, release herself to the pain. And in that way... Anna is consenting to the, the the last part. She's not consenting to the violence. She's not consenting to being skinned alive. 
She's not consenting to that, but she is consenting to uh, giving her pain over to, to the purposes of the organization and to share her message uh, with the organization and to to experience this ecstatic moment with one foot in one world and one foot in the other world. Um, so in that sense, maybe she is martyr. Maybe she is a martyrdom because she could have just, you know, done what presumably she could have done what any other this is a system presumably that she's not the first person to be punched and skinned right <laughs> she could have done what lots of other people did it's just she had she had the encouragement and maybe she had the belief system or she had a specific kind of spiritual energy that allowed her to to access this i think it's an interesting interpretation it's not one i necessarily align with i i have i've always thought that one the two reasons that she gave up the information is that they had a, they they had brought down the efficiency of the process. So there's kind of stories of like people being in that situation for years. Lucy was in that situation for years, and like it wasn't enough to bring them to this point. Like people got used to it. They had these demons that infected them, like their brain. I would say imagine, but like basically like broken broken holes in their brain into like seeing monsters where they aren't there and having that affect them and they kind of say like it wasn't a good process we were trying to figure it out we thought we thought longer was better so i get the sense with anna that they like are really putting that part to use like and how they like no this is going to be an efficient four-week process (laughs) and here's what we're going to do and i kind of get the sense that like they're keeping her alive in a literal she's getting the summer school uh but also they're keeping her alive uh flailed with all of her skin off and like as soon as she gives her revelation to the world she can die so i almost get the sense of like other people were too like they'd gotten past the point of even being able to speak verbally if you've been in this like the person that she rescues from the basement can't speak verbally anymore right like she can't communicate so how are they going to give their yeah yeah how are they going to give their like uh, their revelation when they are unable, like they they just have gone too far for too long. So that that was always my sense. I'm not saying your interpretation is wrong. That was kind of why I thought that um that Lucy was able to give her or sorry not Lucy Anna was able to give her revelation. There's one other component though before we get too far off this um that the director talked about that feels extremely relevant to me, and that's the idea that like. Um, we mentioned like a society thing that, you know, the rich are hurting others indiscriminately because they just don't see them as people. Like the idea that a, um, a, uh, just a middle-class family who's worried about their son's college and their kids getting along and putting food on the table, making dinner and picking up soccer practice could like in their basement commit these levels of atrocities and not have it be in a disconnect. And you know, obviously that's a commentary on 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 uh, society doing that in general, but that feels again so much has changed. Hasn't really changed, but been like more brought to the surface in the last three years. With like uh, again, for a lot of people, it hasn't changed. It just feels like oh, everyone's like I'm seeing a lot of like fascism and rich brutality in, in a whole new light thanks to. Uh, the kind of re-rise of like neo-fascism across the world and Donald Trump in this country. But that idea of like, yeah, how many times when these fucking monsters, whether they're congressional monsters or stuff like that, it's the joke of like, I have two daughters. How could I be uh, 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 someone who's committed sexual assault, like a Kavanaugh situation? But yeah, that idea of like, 
hiding behind like your families as a way of like saying, well, how could you do anything bad? You care about your own flesh or blood. Um, and that, that that part of this movie seems so resonant to me. It's like, yeah, they do seem like a nice, happy family. But being a good mother or a good brother or sister or father or son or daughter doesn't inoculate you from criticism when you do monstrous things. Like, it's something that someone wrote recently about, like, talking about the way so many Americans have, like, been like, yeah, we're with every terrible thing Trump and fat new fascism does. And it's like, you don't think, like, people who are Nazis were, like, good parents? Like, like real Nazis in World War II were probably great sons and daughters and bought each other presents and cared about what they were doing with their education. And that idea that, like, having a family, which literally all of us do, to some capacity, good... And having a good family and having, like, a quote-unquote good family where you take care of your kids means that you can't commit monstrous evil is, like, a lie perpetrated by the upper class to inoculate them from, like, criticism. Literally hiding your sins in front of your children uh, as a way to let you do whatever the fuck you want to do, no matter who it hurts. People like this still have to, like, go to the grocery store. They still have to, and by people, yeah. like this, I mean people that are perpetrators of systemic violence. Um, they still have to like go to their grocery store and figure out where their kids are going to school, and you know, go, go, uh, yeah, go see your your daughter uh, perform in a swimming competition, and uh, with this movie specifically, yeah. figure out what they're doing for dinner each night. They still have to do all that shit. Even one of them mm-hmm. is like fixing a problem with the um, the sump pump, or the the mom is fixing a problem with like the sump pump or the drainage system or or something, um, like. They still have the sort of uh, everyday bullshit going on. And that doesn't just because they're relatable on that aspect, like we're shown them as a, as as a victims at first. And in a sense, they are victims. Yes. And the, the kids are definitely victims across the board. The kids don't seem to be uh, in any way aware of what mom and dad are up to. Mom and dad uh, hide the the um, do we talk about the, the murder base? We didn't talk about the geography of the house at all. So really quickly. There's a cabinet <laughs> that uh, there's a cabinet in the living room, which leads to a locked hallway, which leads to a locked cat, a locked um, uh, bin um, that you can open up. And then there's a ladder down to a torture chamber. And like you can't hear anything that's going on in the house, let alone outside what's going on in the basement. So like the idea, I think, is that the parents are performing this, but the kids have not been in any way uh, welcome to it. I imagine someday they will be. Um, maybe that's why the dad wants to get kid to go to go get into law so much is because they need lawyers and powerful people. In their circle, huh. uh, they probably don't. They probably have all of them. Yeah, the but he just—he doesn't situation. want him to be a loser, though. He doesn't want him to be the only person in the murder cult. Cult who, you know, is is you know not got his GD. Yeah, he's not. He's he's not. Uh, I use the term loser in like that the way they would look at it, right? Like somebody who has just like a working man's job. I was just gonna say, I do think you see like when she decides to kill them, like she hesitates for a sec, but I think she also recognizes like, oh, they're just gonna become more murder call people. Like, yeah, like uh, at this point, I, I, I'm not saying she's justified, but I'm saying like I get what she is like considering in those moments before she pulls the trigger. It's like, well, I don't know if they know stuff, and also. Uh, the the rich murder cult exploitation doesn't stop. It's kind of like it's not like Donald Trump's kids are better than Donald Trump. Yeah, like uh, they're terrible. Yeah, actually, that's the thing. People get mad at Hillary Clinton. 
I still think the worst thing Hillary Clinton says in that debate where they're like, say something nice about Donald Trump. And he, she's like, his kids are pretty good. And and, and no, Hillary. Do, do you just mean you, Barron? You, are, you should have been just. 11-year-old? <laughs> yeah. Well, he's going to suck, too. You don't think he's going to suck? Yeah, he's, he's pre-suck He's going to be. He's, he is. Yeah, but he's going to suck. Like, <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, give him no, a I don't think his kids suck. are good. And. And Hillary, the fact that you thought Eric, Donald Trump Jr., and Ivanka were okay kids is disqualifying for the president. Oh, absolutely, Bernie. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so uh, it's so fucking insane. Especially now you see them just milking every dollar they can get out of Jesus the presidency. Um, but anyways, so that backfired for Ivanka and her dumb fucking shoe line. But anyways, so. Um, Nordstrom's been very rude. (laughs) So uh, the point is that the kids aren't really a a part of this and they are victims in in the sense that like they didn't do anything and they're just part of this like class of of murderers. Um, And, you know, right now they're just kids. Um, But that that the normalcy of that beginning is so important because – us accepting this as a normal family with normal arguments and normal bitterness and even some cuteness is all part of the deal. These are not uh, robed cultists who are incapable of fitting in with everybody. These are people that can go to a dinner party, which actually reminds me of um, in Kill List. There's also a cult. There's there's <laughs> definitely creepy fucking people in the murder cult, but a few of the people are just like. A few of the people that we see that are identifying the cult are just like normal, upstanding members of society. Um, and and I, so that's like as somebody who's really into cult movies, and I mean that in both senses, but I mean specifically in movies about the occult and religious uh, religious structures around that. I really like the idea that these are like people that know how to operate within the bounds of normal society. And then when uh, the time comes, they're like, well, no, this is this is the action. These are the actions that we we perform and. Um, well, not to really get like fucking Reddit uh, uh, slash atheist board. Like it is like this is just their like this is their belief. They're they're trying to find enlightenment through martyrdom, which is not too far off necessarily from what other people believe. They've just like reorganized the things to be a little bit more directly brutal. As opposed to like tangentially brutal, yeah, like exactly. some other major religions that believe that. Um, so actually, let's talk about. So I think the the part of this movie that really left my jaw on the floor the first time is I don't know about you, but maybe I, I think didn't you didn't you uh, look at some spoilers for this movie to figure out if it if it was your shit? Because I like when I really thought it was a movie about. Someone who's been uh, – who suffered a horrible trauma imagining monsters and kills an innocent family over it. Like it is about 55 minutes into this movie and and that's what her friend has realized, tries to save the innocent mom. Like the idea of it's, – it's a really amazing home invasion movie. Uh, the the parts of her going in and killing everyone and then like someone's still alive and like that's enough to hang a movie on. Like – that that has hung movies on that plot. So the fact is when she kills herself and then it still waits about five or ten minutes for her to discover the torture basement, I was like – and then the, the person down there, my flaw, my jaw was literally on the floor. It was like – well, not literally I guess, but uh, figuratively on the floor. 
I I only sit um <laughs> I I only sit and watch movies like I'm body surfing, you know, arms back, chin out. So it's very easy to get my jaw on the floor if I open my mouth. Um but I I was like, "Oh shit, this is real." Like her friend was right. I didn't expect that to be the case. And we talked about the systems of abuse, but we didn't talk about the victims of that abuse much. Um, the the movie is a very much a, a story about uh, one friend uh, who went through a horrific uh, act as a child. She went through horrific abuse as a child. And then her friend agrees to be her ally, be her supporter, uh, help her get whatever sense of justice or whatever sense of place she needs to get in the world. And I get the sense that her and Lucy have like had like a relationship before this that was somewhat normal. They maybe even were like in, in love. Like I, I, they were, there's definitely um, th- there's definitely romantic feelings between the two of them. I don't know how, how consummated they are, but um, you get the feeling that like they were either having a normal life and, and they, she saw something in the paper and it like spurred movement or um, they have patches of normality that made Anna feel like, okay, like this is worth, worth the fight. But well, and also we know though. So Anna has learned to like almost be a nurse because Lucy, um, cuts herself so much, yes. but from her perspective, it's from, uh, it's not that it's being attacked by these monsters. And depending on your perspective of the, whether the events are schizophrenic episodes or if they are actually, uh, you know, a d- demonic possession, yeah, I don't think it's quite schizophrenic only because – and I – just because I feel like that idea of like opening up a hole to this other – so is, is your idea that like these things are somewhat real but still just no one else can see them because it's like a de- – I, I could buy that a little more. Like a, a concept of demonic possession. My we idea, need to get into what we make of the ending. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I think I think basically to pause there, my, my, ta- my uh, opening title of this movie is Pain oh. is the Resonator. So if you think about From Beyond, uh, the – classic uh, H.P. Lovecraft story. Uh, there's a resonator. It's a big fucking gaudy device yep. that you flip a switch on and it lets you see things that aren't there. Um, it lets you see the next world, the next realm. Uh, and this uh, pain is the device that gets you to the other side. There's no... Uh, you don't have to oh, wear special Google like glasses yeah. or... <laughs> So um, that's the way I see it is that they've seen a glimpse of the other side and um, you can interpret the visions they see as, as, you know, something on the other side saw them and is now attacking them. Or you can interpret that as they saw something on the other side that drove them mad and is now giving them sort of violent episodes. It sort of possessed them. Um, You can see it a bunch of different ways. But basically, I do see that, like, their connection with the other world um, whether or not they could feed back information or not, their connection with the other world made them uh, have uh, this, these supernatural attacks. So, yes, you're right. Um, lots of self-harm. Lots of self-harm on Lucy that Anna has to deal with. Yeah. And so, like, it does feel like – and I I don't mean this to be like it, – it, she is like a she – is, she understands that her friend has gone through this horrible trauma. She's trying to be, like, an ally and supportive to the point that, like, she's – like, even when her friend has murdered these people and she doesn't fully believe, she's still there to help her friend. And then once she feels like there's a life worth saving, she's like, okay, well, now saving this life outweighs support. It doesn't mean I don't still love my friend. It doesn't mean I don't still support her. But I can't know what's going on. I'm going to try to save this life. And even if she believes her somewhat, like she's like, I don't know if I'm ready to take the next step. And that's what the movie is, is also about is uh, how do you react yeah. to your own, 
your own trauma, um, do you do, do you choose to partake, partake in the healing on the inside? Is that going to be enough? Or do you go out and try and commit an act of vengeance? Do you try and stop the, um, the abuser from abusing again, so to speak? And so obviously it's more interesting in a movie to have somebody who can go find their abuser and kill them. <laughs> So I actually – so it's interesting that you kind of took the interpretation that maybe they've had a normal life. I can like see it either going clipping and lost it. Like it could I, be patchy, right? So I, I always – yeah, I always took it as like she has spent 15 years trying to find the people that did this and like that was how she found them. Not that like she moved on from this, and I forget if there's. But a she could have just the opened movie. the paper and seen the the picture too, right? Yeah, they, it's not spelled out. I'm just telling you how I've always interpreted it. Yeah, I think it's a combination. Just because she's because she says something like, and my my interpretation is based on I think her saying like, finally, I finally found them after years of looking. So that's kind of how I imagined it, but it doesn't mean that she wasn't like on the lookout while they had a life too. So. Because she clearly hasn't talked to Anna about this, right? Like, because she calls Anna after she kills everyone. Yeah, she's running off ahead. But then when the time comes, she realizes, like, uh, Anna is her only ally. And there's a very weird scene early on that I couldn't tell if it was government investigators or the cult posing as government investigators, whatever, that are basically, like, telling Anna, like, there are... um, That there was, you know, Lucy went through some shit. So you have to, you know... Talk to her, figure out what she knows, and then get back to us. Or and and uh, so there's a lot of lore missing between that and the beginning of the movie proper. That's just completely gone, and you just have to fill in the blanks. I do think it's a humanist movie. It's a movie that shows Anna as like being an ally, and and she believes Lucy, but she also some of it is unbelievable. Especially you know when we're talking about Catholic Church as like an organization that protected sex offenders. Like it seems unreal. Like. I know plenty of growing up Catholic. I knew plenty of parents who are like, you know, it just doesn't. It seems like somebody's just trying to take take a piece out of the Catholic Church. That doesn't sound real. And then every year that went on, it was worse than we imagined. Um, so uh, that that sort of that sort of reveal for Lucy that there is this creepy stainless steel basement um, uh, with with a woman down there who went through it sounds like similar torture to what Anna had had gone through um, not to the same not in the same level but in the, on the same level but not the same specific torture um, all of a sudden it dawns in her like oh my god my my friend my friend my love my, who's now dead um, she, I I I didn't I didn't believe her as much as I could have and now I need to take care of this woman. She sort of immediately Anna tries to make up for not not being able to save Lucy or however you want to look at it, not being able to give Lucy the help that she could give even if she was incap- impossible, even if it was an impossible amount of love to, or support yeah. to give. Um she gives as much as she can to the next victim of this cycle of violence. And so yeah, that basement reveal Aaron, I know we talked about this a while ago, but the basement reveal is um, an insane moment, but it really codifies this as a movie that's about systemic cycles of abuse and how victims react to it. And it goes back to what Pascal Laguerre was saying, which is that this is a movie about it's a movie about pain. It's not a movie about torture. Yep. And uh, and yeah, you're right, because like when Anna sees there's there's that kind of almost heartbreaking moment where Anna brings the woman up and like pulls out her kit like her 
her stitch kit that she's been using to um, to help Lucy and looks at her body and she's just covered in uh, more cuts than you can imagine and is like uh, and just has this moment of like I don't know what to do for you and so like still tries to think of something else like I'm still going to do what I can in this moment and so she draws her a bath um, and tries to you know eventually get the screws out of the mass which in retrospect feels like a mistake uh, but of course she didn't know what was going to happen they're literally fucking bolts screwed into a skull um, but she's she's trying right like she's trying to save someone from this this cycle and, and be be that ally and supporter um there so there's one minor theme thing that I, I want to get to the ending. I want to save. We're already pretty far into this. I want to save enough time to talk about the ending and what it all means or what we think it means or what multiple choice versions do we think it means. But there is like one commentary component. This movie has a lot to say. There's one thing that I don't know if I'm missing a deeper resonance or it is like a loose thread that like feels like an idea that he threw in that doesn't go anywhere. And that's the idea that, like, young women are most uh, likely to achieve martyrdom. There's a part of me that's like, is this some level of commentary on the fact that, like, um, so many horror movies use young women as victims to, like, as as a, a, a level of, like, sexual exploitation or they are just tend to be the protagonists who we like. We have a fascination of, of seeing young women tortured in a lot of these movies. Or, like, it feels like a, in a movie with a lot of biting commentary, that feels like something. And then it just, it doesn't quite, besides that one line, doesn't go anywhere enough for me to say whether the movie's trying to make a point or not. So I was curious your thoughts on it. It's clearly a movie with a lot on its mind and a lot of gender politics on its mind. However, it's it seemed by the end of, by the end of the movie, it's more interested in a sort of humans the human level um, view. Yeah, um, and it's more interested in class, um, which is fine. Movies are allowed to touch on on themes and then move on, but it does feel like a movie that <laughs> um, builds in. It builds in a recognition that people are going to view it as like a trashy horror movie and then took the time to have some commentary about that. Because this is a movie that would be if you were here for the gore or the abuse of women or whatever, whatever horrific thing you want out of extreme movies. Um, some of it are respectable. I think gore is a respectable thing. Uh, I do think some people also watch these extreme movies because they don't like women. Um, probably a very small percentage of the audience, but still. Um this movie is basically denying you a lot of that. It's denying you a feel because it's denying you a feeling of empowerment for the men uh, or the women that partake in the the abuse. Um, one of the things that it does that's really interesting is it completely dehumanizes the um, the assailant. He's this like yeah. He's this like. Uh, I don't That's know. why I called it a process, right? Like, yeah. this is one of the only torture... So, of all these quote-unquote torture porn movies, this is the only one I can think of where it is literally just, like, a job. This guy gets no satisfaction. <laughs> we see him washing the, the his woman hands. Who's feeding, 
Yeah, he's just like, this is my job. This is the process that I go through to to do what needs to be done for enlightenment. And so I think that's really the brutality of it, right? Like in in most torturous movies, you have like the devil's rejects, right? Like they're like, they love this shit. This is what I'm this is. To do the they love work. to. Yeah, they love to hurt people or, like, the Saw people who's like, I want to teach people a lesson and they're causing their own pain. Or, like, Hostel where it's, like, the the rush of being able to murder people. Like, everyone fucking loves it. That's why they're going to get it. This guy is just like, yep, uh, it's my job. This is what I do. It's I'm not I'm not going outside the process. I get no enjoyment from this when they you like you get a sense, even though this isn't spelled out. Like when they do this, I do this. And then when I get this point, I'm done. And then I go, yeah, I go wash my hands. I go punch out. I go home for the day. And like, that's something I've never seen either in a in a quote unquote torture porn. Strange choice of words, Aaron. Punch out. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> Pun very much unintended. Um, but yes, that's every, everything else I agree with. Uh, he's he's very rarely shown. He has almost no dialogue. His Like you said, there's no expression of joy or sexual pleasure or anything in him. The, um, and as well, the, the woman torturer um, does not get... Um, get uh, any sense of joy or expression out of it. She just gets a feeling of like scientific. Uh, yeah. Uh, precise. You, you're like, she almost yells like Eureka the moment when she realizes like, Oh my God, the, this, this finally broke through. And it's, it's like someone, um, like I have friends who are scientists. It's like someone who finally pulls out their lab sample one day and they're like, Oh my God, this, this chemical did what I'm supposed to, it's supposed to do. Um, and they're all excited and they want to get a beer. Cause they're like, I've been looking at this fucking Petri dish for six months and now it's finally doing what it needs to do. Like so I, I you, hold on though. Your friends that are scientists are like, if we're talking about the same people are, are awesome, but they are, they of course, uh, your your wife looked at me and said they're marine biologists. And I'm like, no way. Yeah. What? So yeah, if, that, like, if that's who you're talking about, that's that's who I'm talking about. Like they are not like any scientist. Of of course they'd celebrate with go get a beer. Also probably if they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> well yeah, we actually we did get beers one day because some asshole left the fridge open in uh, my friend's lab and it and it sacrificed a lot of their samples. So a lot of them had to restart like months of work. I, I say asshole. These people work crazy hours and someone just fucking yeah. forgot. Anyways, but my point is, and it's not to knock my friends as torturers. It's to say that the person is approaching it from this perspective of like holy shit like this is amazing this is a wonderful it's a wonderful revelation because they're treating it as a scientific process but before then the the woman torturer doesn't show any joy the man torturer does not show any joy in the process or regret worth no like yeah that's there's there's no there's no pleasure there's no pain there's there's nothing it is just like it might as well be a robot carrying out it which makes sense from what the mademoiselle said because she said yep we 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 perfected it. She we go through show, the steps. She does show a, a moment of compassion. The, the woman scientist just show a moment of compassion um, before the person goes on, before Anna goes on to be skinned, I believe. She gives her, she's like, you're doing great. You're going on to the, and she like kind of touches her face. And then the man oh, comes. Oh, I thought that was part of the process. I mean, I'm sure it is part of the process. But then the man comes in, picks her up, throws her over his shoulder, and then on to the, the worst thing yet. Um, 
and uh and the fact that they almost never show his face and the even at the party at the end when he's like he is one of the key members in achieving the result that this cult wants um they they just show his face briefly he has like a light little like polite smile like i'm really glad to be here but he's not like um ecstatic joy and yelling and cheering he's just like i'm really proud to present my results and it's it's um it makes it creepier but it also like i think it helps make the movie more of an intellectual exercise as opposed to a um a gauntlet that you go through i agree with you and i do think it reminds me of the funny games thing right like i'm peter i know you fucking hate funny games (laughs) I do not begrudge you the fact that you and a lot of other people whose opinion I respect uh, hate funny games. I just like what it's trying to do works for me. And I don't think what it's doing is meant to uh, I, I do think it has a point for what it's doing and it works for me. So but I also understand why you would watch funny games and go fuck that movie. I, I've said to Peter, it's the rare movie where <laughs> We are both 100% aligned on everything about it. It's just, for me, it works really well. And for Peter, he thinks it's the worst thing. Yeah, So I, f- but I feel the same way about Martyrs. Like, it is incredible, brutal, tough-to-watch experience that um, I could s- easily see someone going, this movie is not for me. I hate this. And I would go, yep, that all lines up and makes sense. Like, I would never begrudge someone... Um, also, for people that disagree, I read a, a good review that basically said, uh, yeah, I get what he's trying to do. It None of it works for me. I, I don't find it interesting. I don't find it compelling. That's, like, fine because it is uh, – it's always fine to have whatever opinion. I'm not trying to say this isn't a fine opinion. But, like, this is a movie where it is so, like – it is it is it has such a specific way to approach its storytelling that I could see you going, yep, none of – I think he failed at that. None of what he's doing is worth it to me. The experience isn't worth it to me. I'm not getting anything from this. Fuck this movie. I understand that perspective on this movie and would never begrudge anyone from having that impression. It's just everything it does – I think it is done in a way that is not meant to be exploitive. I think it's there to uh, say a point that is resonant to to me, and I think it works really well. So before we really rush ahead to final thoughts, um, I do want to plant and do a few minutes on the ending. So I've gone back and forth so many different times. Um, so essentially, all we see is... Uh, like a white ball, almost something from like Solaris or something that like has like almost like voices in the background and you're going towards this like white ball planet sun thing. Um, and and we don't know if that is supposed to mean anything or just like a sense that she's achieved enlightenment. And then the last line that Mademoiselle says is keep doubting. So, A, we don't really know what they were trying to discover except, like, what happens after you die. We don't know what keep doubting means. Like, are you supposed to doubt that there is an afterlife? Because it seems like these people are convinced there is one. Um, And we don't know if what she sees is supposed to mean something. Or So, uh, yeah. So, I've gone back and forth on whether the idea is that the whatever's on the other side is so horrible – um that uh that death is is worth it 
Um, in which case, but that doesn't really make sense because if what's on the on the other side is so horrible, why would she rush towards it after all this time? Uh, or if if the event that she's going to be punished, like oh, there's a heaven and hell, and you guys are so fucked because you've been doing all this stuff, uh, that doesn't necessarily make sense because why would she rush to get herself to do that? I kind of like it's ambiguous. It's very ambiguous. I'm not trying to say this is the ending. But I kind of like the idea of that what she found out is that there's nothing. Um, And the reason I like that idea is because as it pairs up with the suicide, that idea that, oh, we have have done these monstrous things in the name of some level of enlightenment or knowing the afterlife or God or something like that. And what she's saying is that there's nothing – I'm a monster and like recognizing that monsterhood by realizing what else do I have to live for at this point. So that's something that makes sense to me. Uh, not very Lovecraftian, although I guess the, the scariest thing of all is finding out there's nothing um, when you've spent your life thinking there's something. But curious if you care enough to have a theory. This movie doesn't need to have a theory for it to work really well or where where you're at with how it ends. I think there's a few ways to go. I mean, if you're going to follow the track, the the, the first uh, half the movie goes on and, and kind of uh, take this as a movie about systemic violence against women, uh, it would be kind of interesting if it was a movie about like, hey, uh, there's a beautiful place called heaven and you're fucked. You're not getting in. Sorry. Like, but why would she kill herself? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the choice is in heaven curious. or hell. This, this Maybe the choice all is stuff. in heaven or hell. The choice is, is, it, is essentially like heaven or a black void. And she's just like, well, fucking if I'm not going to get in, then why not just end? You know, there's no point to this. There's no point to me going on anymore. My journey has reached a conclusion. Essentially, the way I, I think about it, she, she is uh, the mademoiselle, which is fu- like, yeah, here, there's a heaven. You're not getting in and you have failed. You will never you will never get in. And so your journey is at an end. You've you found your answer. Enjoy your disappointment. Yeah, I guess. So. Again, and this is things I still wor- am working through as I talk about. So I'm not yeah. trying to say that's not but, what I believe, so, but that's a good theory. Yeah, I guess my problem is that so you figure like uh, heaven, right? Like there's there's joy waiting for them. That's what she was trying to find out. Why would she kill herself? Why wouldn't she go tell them? Any version of hell, hell dimension, heaven for some people, but not for them. I don't quite understand why she would kill herself and rush towards this like torture dimension and so like when paired with the suicide i feel like the only thing that makes sense even though i'm not saying this is what i definitively believe is that it turns out there's nothing everything they've been doing has been a waste of time uh and and definitely like all of a sudden she's because that's the thing is that she believes that it's that they're doing this for a greater purpose so the concept of nothing afterwards removes that purpose. So, but but it would ruin all everyone else's day. So that that's the only one that kind of makes sense to me, just from all those pieces fitting together well. But I don't know what 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 makes sense to you, Peter. You mentioned the most. You I mean, uh, it's Lovecraft Month, so I could go a lot of directions. But since it's Lovecraft Month, what I'm going to go with is that she saw something so diabolically strange, so odd, so weird that she was like, 
I want to go take this journey by myself. I want to go I want to go see these strange alien worlds that exist when the soul is uncoupled from the body. I want to go uh, I've been on this journey my whole life. I have to go see for myself what the fuck she saw. Um I can't mm. not see it. I mean, she could have just described a strange so think- picture of an alien world or an you know a strange picture of traveling through the cosmos and the mademoiselle said fuck it, I'm going now. And she's basically, and it's in her refusal to share that knowledge, I think aligns with the inherent, the inherent selfishness of the system she is operating. The inherent selfishness of the system is my life is worth hundreds, an infinite number of you, you little people, you children, you poor people, you just anybody that's not a rich white person from a a specifically good breeding stock. Um, And the idea that she even within that organization, even though she seems to be loyal to the organization would be like, fuck it, I've got the knowledge. Now none of you can have it is very appropriate for how selfish those systems of abuse are inherently. So I I think that's true i just i'm not quite like the keep doubting thing doesn't make sense to me then and also like she does seem a little bit despondent yeah i mean the the path of least resistance is for sure there's no afterlife because then she says you know keep doubting like i had a purpose when i didn't know now i know yeah and uh, no purpose. Yep. But yep. I think that the idea, but the idea of uh, somebody committing suicide in such a ritual manner, and even bothering to humor the guy outside the door, it feels, it feels spiteful. It feels vengeful in a way that, like, I I connect with the selfishness and the and the um, I connect with the selfishness of of uh, her actions earlier in the film. I think what's most interesting to me and like uh, like the loss in translation thing is a really good example, right? It's another example of someone whispering something that you – like it's not meant to mean anything. It's just meant to, uh, to uh, deepen the mystery or have some unknowable thing for the audience to have these conversations about. Mm-hmm. The lost in translation one is a really good example of something that I've never really cared what they said. It really doesn't matter to me. <laughs> I will say because it uh, involves like the afterlife uh, and this whole like next set of components that happens. I I did like do a Google search for like uh, what did she mouth in French? Like is there something there? Because I like I can't help but like what did she say that has the Mademoiselle going? Nope. Uh, I know for certain what she told me was true. And now I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> so I I do find that mystery very uh, compelling. I find the, the mystery compelling. And I think that the we- the way she acts is so weird. Um, and her position of authority yeah. is, is so high that I think it opens it up for interpretation in a way that like it wouldn't if she said said more. Or less. Agreed. Or less. Like, like, like all great mysteries, like – there's there's not a version of this that would be compelling if we found out the truth, right? Like if he was just she was just like, oh yeah, here's what I found out and kills herself. I mean, the reason that this is such an interesting concept of oh yeah, what could they have seen that would have led to her still calling everyone over, then asking these questions, basically saying, yep, I know for sure, I finally found the answer, asking her friend or whoever that guy is if he believes in the afterlife, and then saying keep doubting. Like, there's just so many pieces that add up to the perfect, like, mystery that any answer would be uh, diminishing 
to the overall what it's trying to show. But yeah, I you know, again watching it, you you started out in this like uh, minus the prologue this home invasion thriller and all of a sudden you're at this cult meeting where the leader kills herself after finding out what happens in the afterlife and and as i said at the beginning you're kind of like how did i get here like it does all make sense but this movie has so many fun surprises and it gives me so much to think about and talk about and has so much to say like i still i still kind of get a little bit annoyed that like um this movie is used as an example of like this. I, I feel like this movie is used in the same way a Serbian film is used, like in like casual Internet movie fan conversation. Like, oh, what are you going to go do? Watch Martyrs? Or I actually just saw a tweet from the aforementioned Scott Tobias who said uh, about a, a, a sports game he was watching. I don't know which one that says, man, this is brutal. I think I'd rather watch the last 20 minutes of Martyrs in this. That was today. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. And like uh, from someone who likes and respects the movie. And I feel kind of like a little bit defensive, candidly, that like this movie is like used as like still this concept of like this uh, depraved, brutal film that exists for the sake of a dare. When I just feel like it has so much more to offer. And that's why I'm glad we, we did it for this month. Because I do want, I did want to talk about it for a very long time. Because I feel like this, this movie has been rudely lumped into a category that I don't think it belongs. And we're going to be doing more occult horror and such as we go. But um, this is not folk horror. This is, this is specifically like a very modern twist on a, on an occult horror. Uh, and it, and it's, it revels in the mystery of what is beyond our space time in such a way. And it even has a sort of, um, uh, hallucinogenic, like sequences where we see like, uh, you know, light a light show, and when Anna has been skinned and she's outlined against this white background, like it, it has a seriality to it that I think lends itself well to cosmic horror. Yeah. Um, and what this is sort of contending with is even if you don't believe that it's like a Lovecrafty explanation, it does contend with cosmic horror because it is about how our very nature, being aware of our very nature, has a, has a horrific effect on us. Our our tininess in the universe and and uh, how um, our lack of understanding of the universe is in some way a form of protection. It's more about the journey than the destination because the destination is either unattainable or what you attain is not going to be what you thought it was. Uh, yeah. It was so fun to talk about this movie with you, Peter. I'm glad I finally got you to watch it. I'm glad you made the pitch. Yeah, we are we are pivoting though. Like this 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 and the um the last wave felt similar Lovecraftian to me. Um in that idea of like forbidden knowledge, doom, a lot of that kind of stuff. But but no tentacle monsters. So great news. Next week, Peter, tentacle monsters. Yeah, we'll get back. But still doom. We'll get back to the classics. It's still cults. Yeah, we're still we're gonna get back to the classics. We're gonna get to the tentacle monsters and the the gore and such. But I'm glad we we did more. We accomplished more intellectual takes on what cosmic horror is for this month. Because yeah, um, though there's plenty there's plenty of really cool other Lovecraft movies we're gonna do someday. It's not the end of the story. But I wanted to get away from no. Lovecraft if if properly. Peter had his way, we would just. 
uh, fully convert to going through a lurker in the lobby one page <laughs> at a time. Um, I would love to do. Yeah. I would love to do plenty of movies that I think are interesting to talk about, but they're not movies that I like necessarily want to. I want to watch all the time. Like Black Mountainside is something I want to cover the show, but we just don't have time right now. We just don't have time. What we do have time for is next week, we'll be covering of... Yeah, so uh, The Void, which is like uh, the Astron 6 boys uh, go straight, uh, where they uh, take a lot of their influences for their goofy horror movies and uh, try to roll one uh, straight down the center of the lane. Uh, I think successfully. Uh, when I first saw it, I thought it was just okay, and then I revisited it a little bit later, and I realized um, there was some weird streaming problem with it. So, uh, yeah, I actually really I really like the film, um, so I'm excited to revisit it. Yeah. I remember we watched it at the same time, and you're like, man, I would have loved it. It's just it was too dark. And I'm like, what? You're like, it's just too dark. I couldn't see anything. Whoever shot it was bad. I'm like... Uh, I don't know. Feels like whatever you watched wasn't good because I saw what was going on. Uh, so yeah, now we're gonna be using the same streaming copy. Yeah, I'm really, uh, really, uh, really happy that I paid money to Amazon to have some copy of it look like it was uh printed onto my ass. I mean, that's a horror movie, right? That's a Lovecraftian horror. Oh yeah, you have you have to watch a movie printed on your own ass. Yeah, I feel like it would hurt my neck having to watch it. Yeah, do you have to watch the whole thing? Can you take a bathroom break, or, or I guess it's unnecessary because your movie theater comes with you to the bathroom. Yeah, I mean, in, in one sense, it's a blessing because you know I don't have to carry around my tablet anymore. I can pack a little lighter for trips. But it... and in other less clear ways, it's a curse. Uh... <laughs> Not as obvious as the blessings, but if you look close enough, there's a there's an old dark lining on the silver cloud. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'm excited about the rest of the month and we're going to get uh, real ooey and gooey pretty soon. Um, and, uh, yeah, with the void. And then why don't you just say the last movie instead of, you know, it's, we're halfway through the month. You don't need to tantalize. What are we ending with? The last one for, uh, for our winter's Lovecraft is going to be the beyond and city of the living dead, uh, as a twofer. Um, the reason we're doing that, uh, is because they're very, very similar movies. Um, when you watch them, you'll know. Yeah. Some Fulci finally, not, not just talking about Fulci and Spooktober. I'm sure we've talked about Fulci every Spooktober, but we're actually going to cover some of his movies for a change instead of just talking about watching them. We're going to do the Fulci, not the half. Awkward endings are going into 2020, baby. (laughs) We did it. Mission accomplished. Banner. So you're saying we're not going to be smooth hunks in 2020? Oh, we're going to be smooth and we're going to be hunks. But never at the same time. <laughs> We're either going to be awkward hunks or smooth nerds. <laughs> Clumsy buff dudes. Or buffy clump dudes. Or uh, the clumps too, Nutty Professor. And we all play our, each other's family <laughs> in various bodysuits. Um, I think that's a good... We could, we could, we could not... Do you think those movies are bad? Um, <laughs> a movie that that uh, is entire premise is what if an entire family was overweight? I think what we're going to have to do to discover if they're bad 
is to torture somebody uh, by peeling their eyelids back and making them watch all of the movies on the cycle until they break. Um, and it looks like they, they can't see anything. She sees nothing around her. And then uh, we will have <laughs> we will let her whisper in our ears whether or not the movies are good. Yeah, so maybe this is the end where we talk about the clumps or Nutty Professor. Maybe we cut it off before this. But either way, I hope you join us for The Void, uh, which is what we'll call the last four minutes of this episode as well. Uh, good night. Good night. And yet, I ask to be forgiven. Knowing the life that I've been living. I know it's too late Cause on your judgment day You're gonna close your gates On me Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand and you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs)